1973, a group of indigenous artists formed a collective. The press called them the Indian Group of Seven. Their goal? To raise the profile of indigenous art. It was all or nothing. We're representing all our people. And create a permanent space in galleries for indigenous artists in Canada and around the world. That was really a rock star moment for me. I'm Soleil Lunier, and this is Among Equals, the history and legacy of the professional native Indian artists, Inc. Listen wherever podcasts are heard. Art Slice is a different dive into art history. We goof around, we curse, you learn from it, but don't expect a typical lecture. You're welcome. From Welcome to Art Slice, a podcastable and now YouTubeable serving of art history. <laughs> I am Stephanie Duenas. I'm Russell Shoemaker, and today, oh shit, hold on. Okay. All right. Listeners, we are so happy to be back for season dos of Art Slice. We really hadn't planned on doing seasons, but we're calling everything before this episode season one. We are hoping this works better for us, so thank you for hanging <laughs> in there. We originally intended to cover Goya's Los Caprichos back in December mm-hmm. as part of a creature double feature with Paulina Peavy, um, but we found foolish. that... It was foolish. Completely foolish. It was very foolish. Well, anyway, uh, I don't know if you saw, this is Dot Matrix AI Brian. Hi, Dot Matrix AI Brian. He is going to help us write season two. Okay. Or just write season two for us. Great. Well, he's printing out. So, I mean, the thing about these new... Uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, hold on. I gotta reach it. Okay. 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 Post number one. Welcome to our podcast where we discuss various works of art and their historical significance. Today, we're going to be talking about Francisco Goya's series of satirical etchings with a critical twist, Los Caprichos. Just gotta re- just reach for it. <laughs> That's right. Goya's Los Caprichos is a series of 80 prints that were created between 1797 and 1799. They depict a variety of scenes from everyday life in 18th century Spain, but with a satirical and critical twist. Mm. Oh, Jesus. It's just so much paper. Uh, uh, exactly. Goya was a master of satire and used Los Caprichos to comment on the society of his time. He criticized the church, the the government, but also targeted societal issues like superstition, ignorance, and poverty. Yes. Goya's use of light and shadow is masterful, and it creates a sense of ambiguity and uncertainty Mm. in his prints. This invites the viewer to view and question and interpret scenes in their own way. Absolutely. One of the most striking things about Los Caprichos is the way that Goya uses light and shadow to create a sense of mystery and unease. He uses this technique to draw the viewer in and make them question the scenes they are looking at. That's right. 
the critical satire of Los Caprichos was considered controversial and it was not widely accepted by the public or the critics of his time. But despite this, it remains one of Goya's most important works. <laughs> it continues to be highly respected and admired today. That's right. Oh God. And 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 <laughs> another interesting thing about Los Caprichos is that it was not well received during its time. Goya faced a lot of criticism, and the series was even banned by the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody <laughs> expects the Spanish Inquisition. And, 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 and that's all for us today. Thank you for listening and watching. Um, <laughs> join us next time as we discuss another work of art and its historical significance. Please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash artslicepod. Is that it? Yeah. Well, that was like five minutes. Yeah, I don't think we need that. No offense. I don't think we need no, I'm, that. No, look, I'm not, I'm not willing to give up on chat AI brian yet right yet um okay right so we'll put that on pause yeah we'll 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 we'll, we'll, we'll get back to the drawing board until the, then the, the circuit board listeners we find ourselves in 18th century spain <laughs> the last time we were here it was just a couple of centuries earlier when we covered the greek transplant el greco el greco yeah in episode 16 Mm. A cog in the old big budget rebrand when the Roman Catholic Church rebranded as the RC Squared, if you all remember that, in order to get in between the ears and eyes of average folks so they would not be swayed, Stephanie, by that trendy, minimalistic, mm. hashtag Protestant lifestyle, hashtag Protestant brain worms, hashtag <laughs> RC Square Cord, hashtag RC Squared aesthetic, hashtag Eucharist Core. No, no, In Eucharist. the course of said rebrand, the RC Squared dictated the trajectory of many artists' careers like mm. El Grego here, but also dictated the lives of people in general, including the indigenous people of the, quote, new world. Maybe it goes back to being ruled by a group of diverse non-whiteys oft referred to as the moops for hundreds of years, or just being cunning enough to keep the indigenous who knew the land the best. You know, because they, they knew how to produce sugar and, and hopefully, you know, knew where all the gold was. But when the <laughs> Spanish conquistador, the Americas, the Philippines, Guam, Africa, a big old hefty chunk of the Caribbean, it wasn't great <laughs> for the indigenous folks. They endured all sorts of brutality. They suffered from imported diseases, but they did stop well short of the near total genocide that the enlightened George Washington manifested on the indigenous of North America. For the conquistadors, if you were okay with assimilating, worshiping their god, and letting them keep your resources, RC Squares HR would welcome you with open arms, um, you know, to boost their diversity and inclusion oh. mission statement, and also to build their missions. They need a they need a little hand there, huh? So this is all to say that Spain was an imperial powerhouse. Okay, their mm. colonizer touch is why Spanish is the world's second most spoken native language, right after Mandarin Chinese. So you remember Frida and Diego mm -hmm. and their interest in archaeology? Mm. Well, they were trying to bring back some of that pre-conquistador Mexican 
indigenous culture that was either altered, forgotten, or even completely lost at that time. (laughs) But if we rewind to around Goya's time, around the time he enters the picture, the Spanish have committed a couple centuries worth of oopsies. 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 You know, the blowback from being powerful for so long. Too long. It all starts to add up, and their egos in their pockets got a little too big, Mm. a little too heavy. A little jingle jangle in their pockets, because kind of swaying. A little too much. They're kind of spilling it everywhere. They're making a mess. Yeah. They didn't industrialize like England and France, and they slowly lost territories, trade routes, military power. Super embarrassing. And of course, there was mucho, mucho monarch inbreeding. Yummy. <laughs> Make some interesting faces. Okay. So it's a whole like monster factory for the uh, for the, the ruling class. So <laughs> throw in some good old fashioned racism hmm. and the Spanish Inquisition's notorious reputation across borders. It was all just giving like vintage medieval. Oh, nice. Not nice. Good. Little throwback, right? The good old days. Red hats <laughs> make Spain medieval again. OK, mm-hmm. except then it would, oh, it would you know, they could, you could shake the little red hat to attract a little toros. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. All right. So all that <laughs> throw it in a blender. Mm. And by the 17th the century, Spain inevitably gets a bad reputation, mm. not not like Joan Jet cool, like no, not mm. like that. It's more like bumpkin or like backwards. Okay. Like backwards zero billies, if you will, right? <laughs> backwards zero bi- I like that. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. They're outside of like the uh the Petro station selling uh bathtub sangria. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. guess so. We could do that. Sure. Yeah, it's in like a used wine bottle, you know. <laughs> We're recycling. Sorry. We washed oh, it. Recycling. Okay. All right. Sven over here spit on it. <laughs> Couple times, polish it up. Okay. Okay, but now there was a new breed of bad boys who were Stephanie outfluencing the RC squared mm. influencers on Spanish soil, no less, and it was seeping in from those those Euro Billy borders. Okay, hidden under probably some foppy, dusty wigs. Okay. Okay, we're talking, of course, about the Enlightenment. Mm. In all its various shapes and flavors, it, it finally arrived, mm-hmm. right? It, it pulled up its male corset, it wrapped <laughs> its cane against Spain's door, which is kind of creaky, okay. and uh, just on like one hinge, maybe, kind of pulling away <laughs> from the door jam because it's not, you know, well upkept. Yeah, you know? right, right. And Goya was about to live through one of the most tumultuous times. Tumultuous. <laughs> I can't say it. I can't say it. Tumultuous. <laughs> tumultuous. Uh, times in Spanish history as Spain would desperately try to maintain its power in this new Enlightenment era. But before we get into all of that, listeners, we're going to take a look at a later work of Goya's that Mm. we think highlights those feelings of chaos hidden just below Spain's surface. Okay, We have Entierro de la Sardina, a.k.a. the burial of the sardine. Un sardina. Yes. One sardine. Good job. Yes. So most scholars think that it dates somewhere between 1810 and 1819. It is oil on panel. And like with so much of Goya's work, you're just hit with an information overload. Like what first looks like a Mardi Gras level festival. Yeah, I'm getting like Ren Fair mm-hmm. with a little like Burning Man mixed in. <laughs> right. I don't see any fire yet. 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 Yes. Yet. Correct. Yet. <laughs> so it's a dim almost overcast day where the blue sky is just peeking through the clouds and the landscape details just kind of get lost in this like low contrast sort of grayish fuzz. And that dim fuzz, right? Trees and earth meld into the gray sky. This festival, the sea of people parading, rallying, Mm -hmm. dancing. 
are also lost in that grayness yeah. within that fuzz, that gray fuzz, that fuzzy, fuzzy gray, which forces your eyes to really look mm-hmm. at that fuzz. Just don't get the fuz in your eyes. Don't do okay? that. No bueno. Yeah, yeah that's a trip to the doctor. <laughs> and that's where you start to see past the surface because it is this uncanny valley, mm-hmm. horror core, weird type of aesthetic. The the crowd are all wearing like human enough masks. Yep. <laughs> We have dolls, we have devils, bullfighters, and, and a Gamera cosplayer who I think like wandered in from Kaiju Con, you know, <laughs> and they all have like the, these crudely cut eye holes. So they kind of seem like these empty husk people. And that's not even the worst part, though. Like the worst part is that the crowd is hoisting this like giant ass banner mm-hmm. of this very sinister smiling face that's ascending from darkness within we'll say, we'll the banner. It, yeah, it's, it's Trump-esque. It is very Trump-esque. <laughs> it's got that Trump grin. Um, But the more you look around, the more foolish everyone seems to be, right? Mm. It's like they're not in sync at all. Like there's no rhythm. It's chaotic and it gives me anxiety. It's giving anxiety. Uh, But these are the best kind of dance parties because I don't want to learn how to dance any sort of like choreographed thing. So you'll fit right in. Yeah, I would like this. (laughs) To me, me, this is like I can just do whatever I want to. They're not going to judge me, right? No one's going to notice. No one's going to notice my bad dancing. I got a mask on. We're good. We're good here. Ah, No one knows that I came in from Kaiju Con in my Gamera (laughs) costume. Okay. The paint gives away Goya's feelings on this scene, though, right? Yeah. So more so than just the illustration of this event, parts accumulate to defined shapes while others are scattered and vague, Mm -hmm. kind of like a memory mark of movement, which gives this feeling of a very unpredictable drunken crowd, like Mm -hmm. you were saying, who who could, yeah, who could start moshing at any Mm -hmm. moment. Which is an extreme interpretation on Goya's part, but importantly, an interpretation. So he's making an interpretation. Right. So according to the title, this is the festival of the burial of the sardine, right? Where these joyous folks are on their way to bury a sardine, dancing out of sync with their crudely cut eye hole masks. <laughs> yes, that's a, they're on their way to do that. Yeah. So some say that this festival evolved from a pagan celebration and some say it's tied to Lent and Roman Catholicism. Others dated to King Carlos III, who tried to supply mm. sardines to the hungry, but the sardines that he procured had gone rancid. Uh, how, okay. how nice. Well, sardines yeah. are, are pretty small, so <laughs> they're not really going to feed that many Yeah, a lot anyway. of them. Yeah. With said rancid sardines, they made a festival <laughs> out of burying them, right, to take their mind off of their hungry tummies. Yeah, you don't feel the, the, the hunger when you're dancing, I guess. Or drunk. Or high yeah. out of your mind. Don't know. <laughs> Either way, today, a big sardine effigy is buried in fire instead of dirt at okay. the conclusion of the event. Like, this is still hap- This still is celebrated today. Right, right, right. <laughs> so it is called, obviously, the burial of the sardine, whatever you called it. But mm-hmm. in the painting, there is not a sardine in sight. N- not un sardina, okay? Not, not even un <laughs> at this burning dean, right? And that's because Goya is doing a little bit of editorializing here. Mm-hmm. In his original drawing for the painting, that banner with that disturbing mask had the image of the sardine on it with the inscription Mortis, Mm -hmm. so death, Mm -hmm. which is probably why historians named this piece after the fact. I'm not actually sure if this was actually named by Goya, right? Mm. So Goya replaced the death sardine with the sinister face of the Greek god Momus, which... If you've never heard of him? No. I haven't either. Nope. <laughs> so he's the patron god of satire and mockery who uses humor to satirize and criticize. And the mod gods had to kick him out of Mount Olympus <laughs> because he was a troll. Uh, yeah, he's, seemed, yeah, he's the troll it, god. 
it almost seems like he is the personification of this crowd, mm-hmm. right? His trickery is possessing this crowd. And he's just, you know, rolling on his <laughs> troll cloud in the heavens, probably yeah. under a new handle. And this is the complex sort of mental riddle that Goya is so good at, right? It's almost impossible to take his work at face value, though, because that face could be a mask or it could be an AI rendering. Francisco José de Goya y Lucientes was born in 1746 in northeastern Spain, not in the Spain that you might think of today with flamenco dancers, tapas, gazpacho, <laughs> sangrias, sexy beaches, think more ornate bridges and stunning mudejar architecture, and more specifically, Zaragoza, a bustling <laughs> city between two mountainous regions. Just a few centuries earlier, Spain had been under Muslim rule from 711 AD, post-BBJ, <laughs> until 1492. The Mudejar in Mudejar architecture is an Arabic phrase meaning those who stayed mm. in reference to said Muslims after this particular part of Spain was taken back by the Christians in the 12th century. So... Those who stayed influenced local architecture through the blending of Arabic patterning and ornamentation on Catholic churches. Speaking of Catholic churches, RC Squared is still big at this time. <laughs> still uh, pretty, uh, is it prevalent? Is that, the, is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. Prevalent. Like they got the big churches, they got the money, they're throwing it around. Yep, okay. like chump change, right. exactly. Because they still want to build, build, build. And guild, 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 okay? (laughs) And Goya's papa just so happened to be a master gilder, staying busy, you know, gilding frames, altarpieces, anything he could get his little hands on. Anything you can gild, little dogs, little little dog (laughs) dog shoes. You could say he had the Midas touch. Yeah, to to some degree, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so speaking of touch, art and craft was a much-needed trade at this time, And Papa G was successful and he wanted to make sure that his children had every opportunity to follow in his footsteps. By the age of 14, Bibi Goya was already making pretty impressive paintings. Early on, he was especially influenced by the hot new Neapolitan style. Okay. Okay, So for those of you who don't know, you can think of Neapolitan style as following Caravaggio, Mm. the murderer. So the work was (laughs) dramatically lit, lit. It was naturalist, right? It was less exaggerated than, you know, like El Greco or Bernini. So still cinematic, though, but not like big lap long baby cinematic, (laughs) not like Pixar, more like, I don't know, Paramount Plus. I don't don't know. I can think of another like, (laughs) like a a regular old TV show. (laughs) I don't know either. Which is a regular, regular lit, lit, regular lighting, regular people. Classic. Regular. Standard. Standard. Okay. Neapolitan art wasn't the only style at this time. It just happened to be one of the newest. Mm. In Saragossa alone, like we said, there was Islamic art that you could see in the ornament, design, and mosaics. But there was also all sorts of other mediums and movements, including medieval, Romanesque, Renaissance, Mannerist, 
gothic, baroque, okay? And there was even a steady trickle of Rococo working its way over via the French upper classes, right? Okay. Okay. So as Goya continues to study and improve his skills, he decides to make the long-ass 200-mile trek south to the new-ish city, the new-ish court city of Madrid. So he's living in the influence and shadows of all of these giant art movements from both of these cities, okay? And while Goya is progressing and improving as an artist, career-wise, things are not panning out for him. Mm. (laughs) By the age of 24, he's having a midlife crisis. I think the life expectancy was the mid-30s. So at the age of 24, he was having not a midlife crisis, almost an end-of-life crisis. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. So he's he's on the verge of not making it, right? And maybe dying soon. Mm. Maybe. Very soon. So at, right. Yeah. Like tomorrow. So yeah. at this point, he has not lost one but two drawing competitions. And that's a pretty big deal at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's not a good way to end your life. You don't want to be staring at like... <laughs> The, your your art rejection letter <laughs> by by your bedside no, table as no, your no. heart gives way to all the I don't know whatever kills you back then I guess everything kills you back then right and um also him losing these competitions it means that he would not be admitted to the Royal Academy of Fine Arts of San Fernando which is where artists like Salvador Dali Pablo Picasso and Remedios Varo would later attend like century <laughs> centuries later but this is a really big problem. From someone who should be on track to have like a professional career as an artist, like you, this is yeah. not. I mean, his his, his daddy was a gilder. He's got to follow in the footsteps, the, the gilded footsteps. That's extra pressure, right? Correct. So he's thinking, you know what? I have to go now. I have to go be in the shadow of even gianter giants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go study in Italy. Whoa. Ciao, ciao. Nobody saw that. Yeah, game. yeah. I mean, the fur. I mean, the, the soil is fertile there, right? It the Renaissance, fertile. the Mannerist, the Baroques. Uh, soil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's gonna go like roll around in that in that art soil, <laughs> yeah. like kick up kick up dirt on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like himself do. like a little flower. Like dogs do. <laughs> yeah, plant himself, or or maybe he was hoping it would give him some clout, right? Or right. at least some connections, right? Some right. networking, right? He's uh, you know, he's psychologically trying to impress those judges. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it says here that you studied in Italy. Oh. Huh? Either way. (laughs) Either way, it does pay off, okay? He wins second place in a painting competition in Italy and decides, you know what, that's enough clout. It says says here he won second place, Mm -hmm. but he won won second place in in Italy. Boya says, hmm, my work here is finito. Yeah, I'm done. He, so he dusts off the fertile soil, the, 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 the fertile soil that these art worms have been aerating his fertile body with. <laughs> so, the, you know, so the roots of art can burrow deep within him. Right. There's like little like art pups <laughs> breaking the surface of his skin. Like plants? Yeah. Like little, oh, that's right. Little pups. Pups. Little pups. Little pups. pups. <laughs> that's super cute. <laughs> so with all that in Painful mind. Painful too. Yeah. He's a pain, but it's like good for him. Mm. <laughs> It is good to aerate your skin. Right. Yeah, so with, with worms. All, okay. Artworms. I like artworms. Okay. okay. So he's got this whole ecosystem now. Yeah. He's like, I can return to Spain now and yeah. begin again my career as an artist. Yeah. Okay. And so he does. He begins working in a studio of a well-known painter at the time, 
Francisco Bayou y Subias. Yeah, Subaru, right? He marries <laughs> Subaru's sister, maybe for love, maybe for a little job security, maybe a little bit of both. Then Francisco's studio, the guy who owns the studio, yeah, not Subaru. Goya. Yeah. Um, Subaru, yeah, Subaru gets a major contract. <laughs> and before Goya knew it, he was working for the Spanish royal court. Okay. All right. So yeah. while that isn't the best paying job out there, this was still essentially making it. As so it's not, it's not gilding money, but it's close. It could be. It okay. could be because it kind of ensured that Goya would be able to find steady work the rest of his life, right? Through his connection that he now has to the monarchy. And he's also about to put that life expectancy to shame. Okay. okay? So he's going to live a long time. He's going to double, almost triple it. Okay. (laughs) But for his first assignment, he starts off making humble tapestry cartoons. Okay. okay? The tapestries would then be hung, you know, to like spruce up royal palaces, maybe keep those damn castle walls a little bit warmer. Mm -hmm. Now, when you hear tapestries... And cartoons. Yeah, I think of uh, my my favorite fleece blanket as a child with Space Jam on it. <laughs> Michael, Taz, Sylvester. The whole gang. Bugs, yeah. <laughs> the cartoons are not what we would call cartoons today. They're okay. basically like simplified paintings right. for a team of tapestry weavers to work from. Right. Like there's a, there's a woman in the sun and her, <laughs> her, her biff is like holding an umbrella to shade her. What's a biff? Her biff. What's and then there's a little cat on her lap, on her big lap. She does have a big lap. I know you said no more big laps, but I'm looking at a big lap right now. (laughs) So the weavers would use this cartoonified source to start their very complex and process-oriented weaving technique. But yeah, I mean, it's simplified to a degree. It's still very complicated. Mm -hmm. I think the name cartoon gives this idea that these were really Mm -hmm. easy to make. Their cartoons are easy to just like, you know, pump out on your iPad or whatever. (laughs) But a lot of these cartoons were around like 10 foot tall. Mm -hmm. You know, these are huge. If you've seen tapestries at a museum, they're enormous. What kind of imagery would a royal want on said tapestry? You might be wondering, listeners. Mm. What would they want to surround themselves with? I think uh, images of the pores, right? (laughs) Yeah, It's kind of like a Rolodex. You know, these want to see what the pores are up to. (laughs) Without actually going and interacting with them. Right. You know. Because that would... It's Vaseline colored lenses or whatever. (laughs) Vaseline, I don't know. Rose-tinted colored glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rose... Vaseline... Wait. Vaseline... Covered rose-tinted glasses. Yes. Ooh. That sounds interesting. Real greasy and red and thorny. And what? And thorny. Okay, thorny. I was like, Every rose has thorns. (laughs) Basically, they are genre paintings, right? They're images of casual, leisurely activities of a variety of ages and social classes. Mm. Russell, would you like to describe this first tapestry cartoon? Okay. Show it to me. (laughs) It's this. Okay. Uh... (laughs) Are you, are you okay there? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Give me, give me a second here. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, so we have a very idyllic spring day here with four well-dressed ladies, all holding like an 18th century trampoline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like trying to catch someone, like jump, mm-hmm. like the one you would try to catch someone out of a jumping out of a burning building, right? <laughs> but then it's kind of fun, so they just keep bouncing people. <laughs> and the person they are bouncing is <laughs> is like a noodley boy. Yeah, his body's very limp. Yeah, uh, any bones that he has are offering very little in terms of structure here. And then noodle boy's face is a mask, like a guy fox kind of mask, but mm. like guy fox is a preteen <laughs> with like. 
<laughs> with like rosy cheeks because he's embarrassed <laughs> and, and a rosy chin and of course a very like ornate lip gloss situation situation okay. noodle boy's name he has a name is okay. el pelele oh okay okay so he's a straw mannequin oh dressed up as a fancy boy fancy okay lad. he's okay. yeah he is a fancy lad for sure so this whole situation on on said tapestry that you've described mm. is an example of the Rococo influence that was making its way into Spain due to French sensibilities infiltrating the royal court. We do see a bit of whimsical sort of hints at sexual undertones. He's got those rosy cheeks. He's embarrassed. All of that we might also find in a Rococo painting mm. a la Fragonard. I mean, a new, noodle lele. Uh, has been friend zoned here. I think he's fallen in love with these girls who are bouncing him. He's awkward. That's why he's blushing. He he's got a guy fox poster in his dorm room. You know that's why he's wearing the mask. He's that kind of guy. Oh, um, he has hot, embarrassed cheeks. Mm-hmm. It's palpable. <laughs> and uh, but these gals are just kind of using him for fun. I think right. Oh, yeah, well. it's the friend zone, the bounce zone, the bouncy zone, bouncy zone. Yeah. What's really noticeable here is that. This scene is not religious, okay? It is totally secular. Mm. Totally secular. Um, <laughs> it's devoid of religion and spirituality, uh. right? Which is a pretty big change from what we might have expected from this time. I mean, El right? Lele is, is he is looking towards the heavens. <laughs> this was a royal commission, right? The mm. royals asked for this. This was a special request for El Rey, okay? Okay, so out with the Jesuses, on with the Peleleles. Si, 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 si. si. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay. Now, listeners, we have another tapestry called La Acerolera from 1778, <laughs> a.k.a. The Cherry Cellar. Okay. So we have a fashionable woman mm. offering up her wares, her yeah. cherries. She's very, like, spindly. Like, she's she's, <laughs> she's got to be active. She's like, you yeah. want my cerezas? You want my cherries? Actually, Goya, they're not cerezas. You want my cherries? <laughs> <laughs> Goya doesn't know much about spines. That's all I'm trying to say. Or people had fucked up spines back then, and that's why they kept dying at 30. You know, you're right. She's at a weird angle. But that's fine. It's dynamic. Okay, Okay. so she's offering up her cherries to a gaggle of common folk. Mm. Some of them are in, like, snazzier wear than others. Mm -hmm. There's this little perrito, this little dog Mm. doing doggo things, you know, like, patiently waiting for snacks to drop from the bushel. Right. 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 It's a very pleasant day. It's beautiful out. There's this little, like, patio umbrella outdoor umbrella situation. Yeah, it's right? a hipster there's bar. Like a, there's you can a say table. It. Yeah, it's like Chip and Joanne would design that next to a silo and charge like yes. uh, 500000 for it. Right, right, right. However, it is important to note there are no noodle mannequins in sight. No boletes? No. Just, there might be in the distance Just there. fashionable people. Uh, Look, I'm not looking that hard There is a distance there. I could, maybe I could see it if I squint. I don't see it. If we compare Goya's original cartoon to the Weaver's vision, the cartoon has more people conversing outside. Mm-hmm. There are more atmospheric shadows. Mm-hmm. Overall, Goya's scene makes a lot more sense. It's mm-hmm. it's a more flushed out story. Yeah. Cherry Seller <laughs> sees gaggle of people and thinks, with all these people here, I'm bound to sell my wares, my cherries. <laughs> uh, hey, did I see a polele bouncing in the distance? No, that's <laughs> stupid. Why, why would I see that? Time to sell some cherries. But those details were all omitted by the weavers because, again, <laughs> with it, withing is very complicated. Okay, how are they going to with all those people congregating in the atmospheric distance? Mm-hmm. It's going to get all jammed up in their little with grid. With grid, it's hard to say. With grid, with grid. Yeah, uh, you can't say it. it. Is. No, I can't. I fucked up. Okay, all right. So this was Goya's job for sixteen years. Okay, so from thirty years of age to forty-six years of age, <laughs> Goya made sixty-three of these commissioned. 
tapestry. He is really outliving his senior <laughs> citizen discount, you know? Like it's the gonna... artworms. It's the artworms, the fertile... <laughs> the artworms, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like kombucha or some shit. It's <laughs> forever. Ew. <laughs> you might be thinking, whoa, okay, so like what went on in the interim between 30 mm-hmm. to 46 years of age? Well... He was making all of these idyllic... It's kind of Norman Rockwell-esque, now that we're looking <laughs> at them. They're very Norman Rockwell-esque. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Positive images of Spanish populist life. Mm-hmm. Everyone is smiling. It's what the king and queen would expect to see. You remember those those Vaseline-covered roses that you are also, that are also a vision of which you look through? Yes, yes. right. But not long after this cartoon phase, Goya's paintings turn into Los Caprichos mm. or... Entierro de la Sardina, mm. or worse yet, the black paintings. Right. Like he's going from Norman Rockwell to his dark Gary Larson phase. Yeah. For me, though, it's a kind of, it's already in the El Palele, the, the dark Gary Larson humor, Noodle Boy, Noodle Palele. Most historians say this is an analogy for love. Mm. Sure, the, the Palele. Mm. But it, it has like kind of like a second take to it. Dark spin. Right. There's mm. like a dark spin to it. There are all these cracks in the Palele facade. Okay. <laughs> He's telling two stories, I think. (laughs) One is this fun, oh, these girls have this freak noodle mannequin wrapped around their fingers on a homemade trampoline, cumbia music playing in the background, typical Sunday, right? But the expressions on their faces are all exaggerated. One has kind of like a cruel look to her face. Mm -hmm. There's just some sort of empty pleasure here mm-hmm. this palele can be disposed of and forgotten about at any moment they can just shove them in a trash can right yeah he has it. the little happy guy fox face literally you know painted on him and for 16 years goya is painting happy faces onto spanish scenery when the reality was much harder for people actually living it right if this painting was a print from los caprichos i'm not even sure that we would bat an eye like it would fit right in right It has that same undertone of just look a little bit longer, right? Pay attention to what's in the shadows and don't just accept things for what they seem because they never are. Stephanie, let's let's mm-hmm. take off our our foppish wigs, kick, kick off our high heels, Please. put this little cardboard crown on with some jewels kind of painted on, logos printed on it, right? <laughs> and look several hundred years backwards in time to a darker time, a mm. medievaler time, Orlando, <laughs> Florida. Oh gosh. Medieval times, the restaurant <laughs> slash entertainment center. You know what I'm talking mm, about? I no? think so, actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Where we can escape our troubles, the invisible hand dragging our bodies through their finite days mm-hmm. to a simpler time, a feudaler time okay <laughs> spectating as underpaid theater majors joust atop horses while we dip our dry baby carrots into goblets of hummus awaiting the rest of the three course feast Jesus. okay unaware that soon this beautiful bountiful societal societal order <laughs> lele will come unraveled okay first with a renaissance okay of curiosity architecture commissions of of pornographic frescoes okay. for cardinals bathrooms okay right. and slowly eventually with a scientific revolution Revo- revolution okay and like any great shift in human history it's never one or even a couple of things that cause dramatic changes right. it's more like a, the, the building of a hurricane mm-hmm. okay all those building blocks for a hurricane 
You need all these separate conditions to be just right. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the arrival of the printing press were those warm waters below the thunderstorm. People had more access to writings than ever before, and literacy was on the rise even within those petite bourgeoisie circles. Mm -hmm. Eventually, there were all these scientific ideas circulating, ideas that the universe and everything we interact with day in and day out were made up of, all, of this stuff, this tangible material stuff that behaved in certain ways and like a clock could be taken apart so that you could see how it worked. Unless you're David Hume, in which case you have to keep checking the clock because at some point it could be like oatmeal or something, <laughs> you know, that. or like quinoa <laughs> one day, just any like sort of grain based stuff, you know. Got the it. scientific process was then applied to sociology and philosophy because if you could explode and unexplode all these material substances like gravity, planets, pulmonary arteries, why couldn't you use a similar process to examine superstitions, emotions, industry, slavery, mercantilism, societal orders in general? So picture this plain old map. Okay. And all of a sudden you see some disparate rivers and streams start to start to glow. A little day glow orange, right? Mm. And it starts spreading and connecting to the other rivers and creeks and eventually oceans until this plain old map is it's glowing. Oh. This explosion of investigation and questioning why we do the things the way we do them was all led by a utopic notion that anyone and everyone were capable of being able to partake in this process of reason mm. that our mostly good human nature, if nurtured with a little bit of education, could unlock this this like little this little like spark inside of our brains. Okay. With and he has like an Occ Occam's phaser. <laughs> Occam's Occam's phaser. Okay, which you. is a bit, which is a bit naive, but it sounds fine on paper, right? Unless you're like a king or a church then you may want to force like writers like Voltaire to become like a digital nomad or you might, you know, force Spinoza to lay low at his day job, cutting, cutting eyeglasses. I think that's what he did. He was like, worked for lens crafters. <laughs> However, <laughs> that glowing map I mentioned, the Enlightenment writers appealed to the very upper echelons of society who thought of themselves as these very reasonable, rational, progressive people, right? They had Elizabeth Warren signs in their lawn. And one... <laughs> and wanted to do some good for the plebes as long as it didn't inconvenience them too much. Mm -hmm. Looking at you, petite bourgeoisie managerial class, which eventually would lead radical thinkers like Karl Marx and even Adam Smith to look at why the Enlightenment goals would or could become corruptible. Enter newly appointed Spanish King Carlos Tres, who wasn't just another white guy in a mm. white wig and heels. Okay, he was worldly. <laughs> He was hip. He was cool. He was enlightened. Yeah. <laughs> so listeners, remember when we said that Spain was seen as a country of just a bunch of backwards zero billies <laughs> by many of those enlightenment thinkers, right? Yeah. And this was possibly due to their lack of industry, their proximity to Africa, mm, and the okay. prevalence of the Spanish Inquisition. The times are a-changing, and King Carlos III was about to lead Spain into a new era. Mm. And it just like so... The, like the basketball brand. What do you new, mean? New era. That's a basketball brand? It's like a, a some sort of sports brand. I don't know. Go on. <laughs> sure. Sure. You know, I could see... Now, now I'm, like, worried that's not a thing, and I'm just making it up. I'm pretty sure, like, somewhere in the recesses of my mind, new era exists... So I think it does exist. I'm going to look it up. Go for it. I feel like I can envision that embroidered logo. Logo? Yeah. Logo. Embroidered it is. It's logo. Real. It's real. It's real. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a basketball cap company. 
Yeah, I so I feel like I can uh, baseball picture... cap. I said basketball cap. The sports cap. Yeah, I can. They don't wear basketball cap. They don't wear caps in basketball. Right. That would make sense. So King Carlos III <laughs> was part of one of the most powerful dynasties in Europe, uh, Les Bourbons, the mm-hmm. Bourbons, who actually helped fund the American Revolution, but not just to advance the Enlightenment, but also to stick it to the Brits. Yeah, stick it to them in their in their beans and sausage breakfast. What the fuck? <laughs> beans I and was, wieners for breakfast? I don't think so. I always thought you were going to say beans and wiener breakfast yeah. breath. That too. And tea? Tea? Tea for breakfast? What the fuck? I like the scones situation, though. Scones are fine. Scones Scones is okay. Scones is okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. So basically, King Carlos III got promoted from being the king of Naples originally. Yes, southern Italy. Um, to the king of Spain. Okay. okay, so you know how like corporate companies will shift managers around from like branch yeah. to branch because someone gets promoted, mm. they quit or they get fired. Yeah, that kind of thing, basically. So, like the previous Spanish king, actually, he died in his thirties due to um, various ailments attributed to royal inbreeding. Okay, yeah, like the process. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. <you can't. laughs> like during the process of inbreeding, or just like from being inbred. Like he, he he was a product of inbreeding, or he was producing inbreeding. <laughs> he was a product of inbreeding. Okay. Yes. Yes. So anyway, kingdom to kingdom, bourbon to bourbon, uh, brand. Yeah. Same. Same. So mm. back to King Carlos III being enlightened. He hired those who were down for enlightened change across the board. Right. So agricultural, mm. economic, industrial. Okay. This meant taking away power from R.C. Squared and its Spanish Inquisition, which only made his reign stronger. So he was taking the power away because he did not believe in it, but he also wanted the sort of strength of the R.C. Squared. Right. Okay. All right. So good old toxic persecution is now only the weapon of the monarchies. Gotcha. So he also transferred his entire Italian entourage, right? Because he came from Naples. From Naples. From Maples or Naples? Naples. (laughs) So he brought on over his chief minister. Mm. He brought over opera singers, pizza chefs, probably, Mm. and probably some dukes. Yeah, his little little homies, Palermo's. The the (laughs) off-brand of the little homies. No! The Italian off-brand of little homies, the Palermo's. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, basically. I remember those. (laughs) Easy to travel with. Yeah, it's the same skin tone, so it's cool. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that's true. Oh my gosh! Yes, definitely. They trade in the uh, the long shorts and uh, high socks for you know a little apron, an Italian a apron. apron, yeah, um, and a and a pizza. What are those things that get the pizzas out of the oven? I don't know. I don't know. They're pizza size. <laughs> Whatever. Some gold jewelry, some yeah. pinky rings. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> some hookers yelling at him. Some angry hooker. That's what I saw when I was in Naples. It was a dead rat and angry hookers. That's I all I saw in Naples. Any of that? Okay, I, I believe ste- you. No, you were there with me. I stepped over a giant dead rat, looked up, and this man was being yelled at by two Italian hookers. I don't sex workers. Any of that? I don't remember any of that. I believe it happened. Well, I think look, I was... hey, that guy. I'm, hey, I'm not yelling at them. They're he. Look, look, look. He Some... probably didn't pay. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my Morgan, god! I hope they beat the shit out of him. That's all I'm going to say. And they I... could have. They looked feisty. <laughs> I hope whoever. Needed comeuppance, got yeah. their comeuppance. All right, I'll just yeah. Leave whoever it at that. needed the comeuppance, <laughs> I hope they got their comeuppance. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just like a Kermit the Frog, like wailing around, <laughs> slapping everything in its direction. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm still exactly. not sure if it's Comeuppets or Comeuppets. I'm not sure. It's, I think there's Muppets in it's there. It's neither one of those, okay. but we'll, we're, we'll go with Comeuppets. <laughs> anyway, so now the enlightened French, right, in France, right? The French mm-hmm. in France. Yeah. They were really digging this king's entourage, right? His mm-hmm. whole elouk. Yeah, they were okay. collecting his little homie Palermos. <laughs> I'm on their uh, dashboard. Gotta collect them all. Yeah. They're looking around for quarters <laughs> for, the for the machine. <laughs> Basically, yeah. basically. So they're really into this bourbon king, right? Because he's part of their branch brand s- situation, right? Also, though, Spain has mucho más nicer weather, mm. okay? Like Southern California. Mm. Yep. Mm. So then six years later, after his promotion in 1765, there was a mass immigration of French folks from all walks of life, right? Entrepreneurs, diplomats, craftsmen, Hairdressers, merchants, and influencers are mm. all just thrusting their Frenchness upon yeah. an unsuspecting Spanish population. The mm. uh, lay, lay, I don't know how to say homies in. in Leomis. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't say the age. <laughs> Leomis. Leomis. I don't know. Oh, what they would there be one with the baguette? I have baguette. I have uh, croissant. One of us is going to have a, a striped shirt. We're going to have mime. We have a mime. You do have the mime. You definitely have the mime. Yeah. You have like a dirty cat who's better than everybody. You have a starving artist. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. You got. The, I mean, they all are. Basically. Do, can one of them be an Eiffel Tower? Just one of them is an Eiffel yeah. Tower. Yeah. With hands. I think so. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. All right. That's good. So they're going to start their own Lomi's. Lomi's? Lomi's. One cigarette, I think. <laughs> Just the line. Sorry. Okay. No, I love it. Okay. All right. So all of those immigrants that I just mentioned, they all probably came with Enlightenment literature smuggled underneath those dusty French wigs because they were wearing wigs at this time. They made it. They made it fancy. They right. made it. They made it trendy. Yeah. Okay. They brought that literature over for the you know the backwards ass Spaniards mm. who cared about being afrancesados. Okay. Right. Okay. Which actually meant. Frenchified Spaniards, right? Okay. So if you were a Spanish person who was afrancesado, you were doing the French so thing. This was, this was a word yeah. that was used. Oh, okay. it's a word. Okay. I didn't make it up. Okay. That's, <laughs> I wish okay. I could take credit for that one. All right. No. Despite this idea of turning Spain into a Mediterranean Paris, King Carlos III's Enlightenment reform and or France's influence didn't do anything to benefit the majority of the population, which were not bigwigs, right? The, but they yeah, were... they had bigwigs on, though. <laughs> Maybe, but yeah. they were mostly peasants and farmers. Okay. So you can't be tilling the fields with a wig. That's just not practical. I mean, it, it soaks up some sweat, I think. Unless it's like a rayon sort of rayon. <laughs> rayon plant. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not... It's not it's not giving a okay. working hard. It's not giving efficiency, right? It could, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay, so back to the peasants and farmers, right? So mm. their income went to pay debts to their landlord. Like you do. Like we still do, yes. Yeah. Uh so life for them was still giving medieval dark ages, yeah. right? Or <laughs> or twenty twenty-three. So on top of all of this, the influx of French immigrants were crowding already crowded cities like Madrid. So if you recall back to our El Greco episode, Madrid was the recently established capital court city. So this was only about 200 years mm. before Goya. So Madrid was still developing. Mm. OK, and there, there wasn't a lot of separation, like physical separation between social classes. Yeah, I'm all the gated communities were they were still developing, I assume. Correct. Yeah. Yes. This mixing of the classes meant that 
all of them, high and low, were inevitably going to mingle when they were out and about. Mm. It's kind of like going to the mall and seeing the bougie kids at your school eating Chipotle Mm. at the food court. Everyone's just eyeballing each other, right? They probably couldn't help themselves. Okay. Right? Okay. Right? You see see this? You see it in your mind? The lower classes could literally see firsthand how hard the upper classes were simping for the French. Yeah, the 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 friends friends of how do you say? French afados, French asados, papasados, arepasados, arepasados, exactly. And the working class Spaniards saw this and were like, "That's fucking lame." Yeah. Okay, we are not French. We're not French. We're gonna do our own thing. Mm. So. In rejection of the French, machismo was mm. born, which, if that sounds like machismo to you... To, to eras correctamundo. Yes, kind of. The root of the word means to be aggressive, right? Both the men, majos, mm. and majas were ladies. Both of them. They grew loud and feisty. Okay. So this was a new style, right? It was their own. It was basically street style. Specifically, the majos were working class folks. Okay. The men were artisans and the women sold fruit and flowers, okay. for example. Well, this just goes back to my little homies, mahomies um, uh, <laughs> theory, right? So oh, these yeah. are, yeah, these are the mahomies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we got another yeah. one. So the little homies, mahomies, the, the mahomies uh, made appearances <laughs> on those, those royal tapestries, those Goya cartoons, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And Goya was probably like collecting them in his, in his window seal. Okay. Buenas noches, little Pelele. <laughs> Yeah, you had to pin him to the wall so he's in the air. Okay, that is adorable. All right, so back to the majos. So while they could actually afford to take a day off, they still lived a hard life, right? They were still at the bottom of the social ladder. Mm, But they looked good. Right, correct. But this autonomy allowed them to spend some of that disposable income on some fly looks, right? Right, okay, okay. Right, so... We're going to talk about their so looks this, I mean, bit. yeah, this guy has like a Rue 21 bucket hat situation. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, this is not so a this, bucket Yeah, hat. this is the no. Rue 21 to the era's step pop pop blows. <laughs> no. This is where Palele could afford to shop. No, 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 no. It's well, a knockoff. <laughs> Fast fashion. Okay. All right. So men wore a long cloak, right? Flung over the shoulder. Mm. Like they wore soft Brimmed hats. Okay. okay. They were kind of bucket like hats, a yeah. square beret yeah. situation. Like a bucket hat. And they were <laughs> pulled so far down yeah. that you could hardly see their face. Like a bucket hat. <laughs> Maybe. Um, now, women, the Mahas, wore light and airy materials. Mm-hmm. They wore a tight bodice. Uh, they also wore a basquinha, which mm-hmm. is basically a top petticoat. And they wore that over a skirt. And sometimes that skirt was as short as mid-calf. Oh, no. (laughs) Showing the ankles. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Okay. So if these looks sound intimidating, they were supposed to be. They were supposed to be a big finger to the big wigs. Or a tall sock. A tall sock and a short pants slash long shorts. To the big wigs. Oh, the look, yeah. I'm so, look. I'm looking at this guy in his bucket hat and his yeah. tall socks and his his long shorts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks like a little homie. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> you know what? Maybe he could be a little homie. Maybe there's something to that. Okay. I don't know. Well, so many of the Frenchified nobles 
took offense to this because they were supposed to be the best, right? Mm-hmm. They were supposed to be la creme de la creme, right? Literally, <laughs> they're, a they're fucking, smearing cream on their wigs. That is actually yeah. a French like <laughs> term meaning the best of the best, actually. Yeah, okay. So now you have some low-wage ass worker rejecting your fine tastes, keke. Mm. How dare they? How dare they? So this is now a class war, but they made it fashion. For now. For now. However, there were also many nobles that were like, hmm, that's kind of a that's kind of a cute look that those pores have put together. <laughs> it's original and yeah. it's edgy. So they began appropriating the Maho style, okay. right? Much like fashion designers will appropriate yeah. street style today. It was trendy. But there was also an added freedom for a noble to dress in the Maho style. Okay. So they could easily hide their social standing when they were out and about because mm. they don't want the paparazzi shots. They don't want to be wrecked. They don't want to do any of that. But most importantly, they wanted to shed their French friedness mm. and show their Spanish Euro Billy pride. Show off that Spanish Euro Billy pride. Exactly. Sipping on some moonshine that's really a sangria that was made in a <laughs> bathtub. Okay. Oh! So it kind of signaled an, an embrace of this backwards, right? The more romantic. Yep. All while these Enlightenment ideas continue to saturate in other circles. So romanticism is a, a little BB, a, a little Spanish BB, okay? <laughs> okay? And this was this was the pendulum swinging the other way. Okay. Like we can't all be these Spocks reasoning our way through, <laughs> reasoning our way through every decision because we're humans. We're meant to feel things. We're meant to show our humanness. Mm-hmm. You know, the passion, the emotion, basically like the 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 flight, fight, fuck response. This leftover in our in our lizard brains. And this Eurobilly fashion is what evolves into the stereotypes that we think of today when we think of Spain, right? Okay. Flamenco dancers, hmm. Matador, bullfighters, hmm. Your Latina grandma wearing veils to Catholic mass, hmm. It's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> and we will go into greater detail along with two Goya paintings related to the Mahas in a future second slice. In 1788, decades after starting his work in the royal court, Goya finally gets a promotion. Mm. He is appointed a court painter to King Carlos III. A very prestigious position. This basically means that he is one of the greatest Spanish painters of his generation. And he whispers thank you to his artworms. Thank you, guys. (laughs) For a king he was very fond of. Being Mm -hmm. that Goya was an Enlightenment guy, so he was really into the King Carlos Enlightenment guy sort of vibe, right? (laughs) Um, And King Carlos, we make fun, but for everything he did, he was doing some small but positive changes for the Spanish people. So Goya was a fan. Mm -hmm. This is a guy I want to work for. Checks out. He's got a bromance in his mind. (laughs) He has a little bromance situation in his mind. They're out hunting together. He's painting while well, he's painting him. Posing for a hunting. Posing for hunting. For hunting it's not day. actually hunting. <laughs> so Goya is holding the same position as the legendary Diego Velasquez, Ooh. who is one of Goya's biggest inspirations. Mm. 
he now has access to this inner royal circle. Okay. Right? He's building a network of clout. So he's receiving more and more portrait commissions from members of the aristocracy, but his work is still pretty tame. Yeah, he's still in that Norman Rockwell phase. He has not mm-hmm. traversed into the uh, dark Gary Larson Goya that we love so much. One such example being the Duke and Duchess of Osuna with their cuatro <laughs> children from 1788. <laughs> We have your typical afrancesado family with the powdered wigs uh. and the French-inspired fashion for the whole family. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with that cat nipple dress she has there with the jewels. <laughs> yeah. A giant jewel cat nipple. I don't know how many nipples cats have, but probably around that many. Um, that is quite the yeah. mystery. Two for, um. two for every child. Two for every niño. <laughs> Yes. Maybe two for the dogs, too. Oh, that dog. There's another. <laughs> there are two dogs in this photo. That, do- that one this dog. portrait. Um, that dark dog. Don't so, look at it. Don't look at it in the eyes. Don't make eye dark, contact. Yeah. Don't make eye contact. I don't want to look at it anymore. It's very stop. Sinister. I can't stop looking away from it. <laughs> so you wouldn't know it from looking at this portrait, but the Duchess was actually pretty rad. She's yeah. kind of badass. She just looks tired there. She, I would be tired yeah. too, fucking wearing that nipple dress all yeah, day. Well, that's why she got the nipples. <laughs> so she also moonlit as a Maha. She was very into some taboo things. Okay. 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 From afar... This portrait doesn't look like that great of a painting, mm. okay? But the figures are kind of stiff. Mm-hmm. They still have those, like, those El Palele, like, straw bodies, mm-hmm. those noodly mm-hmm. straw bodies. <laughs> and the portrait, it, it's kind of fuzzy. It's hazy yeah. once again. Like, he's mm-hmm. using a soft makeup brush to blur out all the crow's feet. Right. You know, all the, all the imperfections. Like, right. the Photoshop filters turned up way too far. Yes. Got a little carried away, like we sometimes <laughs> do. <laughs> Not gonna lie, this soft, fuzzy light and the sort of like cosmic background. Yeah, it's like a cosmic earth tone, like like a close-up of Jupiter's rings. Yes. I love that. Yes. But this all reminds me of those like glamour portraits from the 90s, right? Very, <laughs> very similarly highlighted backgrounds yeah. and like glowing skin. I definitely had one. If you zoom in though, past the fuzz, past the jewel nipples, past the cosmic mall backdrop, you do see he is using that choppy, painterly brush stroke. He became so well known for a la mm-hmm. Velasquez, mm-hmm. Who's one of his favorite painters. And he continues to do this for the rest of mm-hmm. his career. So it's in there, it's just kind of lost in that fuzz. It's very similar to the way John Singer Sargent would paint decades mm-hmm. later with that choppy, semi-abstract brush mark. Mm -hmm. Uh, The etiology checks out there Mm -hmm. because he was definitely looking at both Goya and Velasquez. The way that he captures details, like the light on the gold buttons Mm. or the texture of the bougie fabric is just, it's just, ah, chef's kiss. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, Stephanie, why does does a baby have like a gold button? Because it's just going to get like baby snot on it. The baby, the baby royals deserve the bestest. Okay. (laughs) You have to uh, polish that tarnished gold button. Tarnished from the baby snot. From the baby snot. Someone's yeah. got to do it. It's very acidic. Someone's got to. <laughs> Listeners, you might be wondering what the hell does any of this have to do with <laughs> I'm Los starting Caprichos? to wonder myself, yes. Well, the answer is everything because everyone involved. R.C. Squared, King Carlos III, the French, the Spanish people, including the Majos. Mm all have a stake in Spain's future and identity. Mm. But how does Goya have a place in any of this, right? He's just a royal painter, right? Well, like how photographer Cati Orna was a mirror 
to the effects of the Spanish Civil War, Goya too would wipe away the rosy rosy Vaseline mm. from his mirror. The the red Vaseline stained from roses that you smear <laughs> atop your lens that you look through the world with. Right. So he's okay. he's 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 getting away from that. <laughs> and instead, he's going to portray the dark realities that were not woven into those palace tapestries. Finally. Okay, so picture this. He's in the palace observing these royals. He's slowly painting their portraits. He's hanging out with them all day. He, I mean, awful, right? <laughs> he's really getting a peek behind the curtain. Yeah. Like maybe one he didn't want to see. Correct. You know, he loved TMI. King Carlos, but, may, you know, it's one of those situations like don't meet your heroes, right? But he's also on the streets observing the Majos, observing the clergy, the beggars, like all that sort of inequality that's happening in Spain. Mm -hmm. And he's starting to see his own position in this whole societal order, probably more clearly than ever thanks to those Enlightenment ideals circulating. On an autumn day in 1792, Goya finds himself in Sevilla, the largest city of Andalusia, the southernmost region of Spain. And while there isn't an exact written account of Goya's time there, we can imagine. We can imagine the sun warming his face as he strolls by an enormous cathedral, combination of Moorish and Gothic architecture, where he is greeted by the Giraldio, a goddess figure in the form of a weather vane, at the top of the looming church tower. The sound of dogs barking, Benders bartering, and horse carriages that normally echo off the surrounding stone buildings are all suddenly harder to decipher. As a creeping ringing filled his ears, everything around him seemed to tilt, to blur. Losing his balance, his hands instinctively reached to cover the ringing, turning to buzzing in his ears. The buzzing turns to an unbearable vacuum-like pressure. Concerned onlookers, a shadow of the Giraldio swaying from atop her tower. Goya collapses to the ground, everything amplifying until it became complete silence. So listeners, that is going to do it for us today. We'll be back soon with part two of Goya. The featured music today was a tape full of mistakes by Rose of Loyalty Freak Music. It's an amazing album. It's brand new, pretty much. We will link it in the show notes. Also, an extra special thank you to all of our patrons who help us make Art Slice. Thank you. You can join our small but excellent group of fine folks over on patreon.com slash artslicepod. And let us know what you thought about the work. Also, share your work with us. We like to see your work. We like to see what you're making. And we like to share it. We do, yes. <laughs> and no. No. Your kid could not have painted those jeweled nipples. <laughs> Bye. Bye.